Then Jesus began to say to them, remember, he's at his hometown synagogue in Nazareth. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. They all spoke well of him. They were amazed by the gracious words that were coming out of his mouth. They said, isn't this Joseph's son? Jesus said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, doctor, cure yourself. Or you will say, do here also in your hometown the things we've heard that you did at Capernaum. Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's own hometown. And he said, the truth is, there were many widows in Israel during the days of the prophet Elijah, when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months, and there was a severe famine over all the land. None of them did Elijah go to except the widow at Zarephath in Sidon. He said there were also many lepers in Israel during the days of the prophet Elisha, and yet none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was filled with rage. They got up, they drove Jesus out of the synagogue, they led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But Jesus passed through the midst of them and went on his way. The Gospel of the Lord. It doesn't really matter, but last week, some of you will remember, we got part one of this two-part sermon, which I'm now calling, as of Friday, Jesus, two Jimmy's, and the Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. <laughs> that will make some more sense in a moment. I'd like to pretend that I knew last Sunday what I was going to say this Sunday, but that would be a lie. Some of you know me better than that. I just knew that the first line of this morning's gospel was the last line of last week's gospel. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And I knew I wanted to connect the two messages in a way that I hadn't before, at least in one sermon, and I didn't have time to do it, just in one message. So the short of the long is, I hope we all felt last week some of what I tried to imagine everyone in that synagogue at Nazareth felt when they heard all of Jesus' good news. It was good news on top of good news on top of good news, remember. Hope for the poor, release for the captives, Recovery of sight for the blind, freedom for the oppressed, the year of the Lord's favor. And we were able, I hope, to imagine all the ways that that good news might apply to even us still, so many generations after the prophet Isaiah and then Jesus first proclaimed it. Like the people in Jesus' hometown, I hope we felt some relief from that some blessing, some measure of the favor and blessing that Jesus poured out for our sake. I hope we, just like all of them, find ourselves amazed from time to time about the gracious words that come from the mouth of Jesus for the likes of you and me still. Who would have thought? What a gift. What a surprise, maybe. It sure surprised the people in Nazareth, Jesus hometown who couldn't believe Joseph's son, that carpenter's kid, 
had been so anointed. And I hope you were able to sit with that good, good news. Not just last Sunday in worship, but throughout the week too, maybe. But I warned you that things were going to change. That the tables were going to turn for Jesus. That all of that awe and admiration and good news were going to turn into something else this week. And you just heard what happened, right? Something changed real quick. After Jesus explained that all this good news wasn't just for Jesus' friends and family or for the rest of the faithful in that synagogue that Sabbath day, which is what Jesus is getting at when he talks about the widow Zarephath in Sidon. And it's what he's saying when he tells them about Naaman, that Syrian, too. What Jesus points out is that even though there were plenty of widows to help, During a very difficult famine back in the day in Israel, widow after widow after widow who were just like them, God sent Elijah to tend to and to care for some strange foreign outsider in a place called Sidon. And even though there were many Jewish lepers who could have used some help and healing in Israel during the dime of another prophet named Elisha, that prophet was sent to help and to cleanse Naaman, the pagan commander of the enemy's army. Which was a hard thing to hear for the faithful folks in Jesus' hometown who were wondering when Jesus was going to do some of the magic and give some of the blessing that he'd been pouring out for the people all around Galilee until he landed back home. Why are you helping them and not us? What are you healing those people for, but not the ones who know you best? There are plenty of people right here at home who could use some of what you're up to, Jesus. Why are you giving it away to people and to places you've never met before? We ask, and I have heard the same kinds of questions about what we're up to in God's church now and even right here at Cross of Grace from time to time. When people ask me why we spend so much time and so much money and so much energy building homes in Haiti, I think about the widows there, a couple who I know, and I think about that one widow in Zarephath and Sidon. When I hear people suggest the United States should stop sending our money and our resources and our aid to foreign countries... Or stop letting the migrants and the refugees in, America first, you know. I think about the prophet Elisha and Naaman, the Syrian. Frankly, I think these are some of the few remaining things these days that make us look like the Christian nation so many want our country to be. And when I say this out loud, especially standing here, I'm a little afraid there are people who want to do me like Jesus. 
drive me out of the sanctuary, lead me to the highest hill, and hurl me off the cliff, I mean. Luckily, we're in central Indiana. (laughs) Cliffs are hard to come by. And I think that reaction and the rage of those who turned on Jesus in Nazareth back in the day was something, what I want to show you next. Last week, I gave you Jimmy Fallon's good news bit from The Tonight Show. Today, I give you Jimmy Kimmel's annual post-Halloween prank. On Monday night, I issued a challenge to the parents of America. I asked parents to pretend they ate all their kids' Halloween candy and videotaped that and posted to YouTube under the heading, Hey, Jimmy Kimmel, I told my kids I ate all their Halloween candy. And a lot of people did. And I guess I didn't expect so much crying. (laughs) I kind of thought the kids would be just mad. Almost every one of them cries. But... We got what they, we got, and um, to those children whose tears are about to be immortalized on television, I apologize in advance. I'm going to tell you what happened to your candy, Blake. I ate it all. I ate yours too, Alan. Me and Mommy ate it last night when you were asleep. I ate all your Halloween candy last night. What candy? I'm very, very sorry, Rachel. I ate all your Halloween candy. How much was it? Oh, oh, Rachel, I'm sorry. You know I like candy, Rachel. Do you still love me? So I ate all the candy. What? <laughs> I, I'm so sorry. It's just I'm pregnant and I get really hungry and I ate all of it. I ate them last night. I took them to work with me. Last night we we stayed up and we ate all your candy. Are you guys okay with that? No. Why? No. Natalie, calm down, Natalie. (laughs) You're ugly. I ate all your candy. You have no no more Halloween candy left. You ate enough candy last night. No, I only have like one bite of candy. Are you serious? Did you like the rest? Oh, good for you. Now you're gonna have probably get a bellyache. Why you should eat so much candy? Well, that's two. 
To what? To make chili. Two plus two is equals five. You were so close. Did you see how much I had? I went to a lot of houses. Oh, no. I, I ate it all. It tasted so good, especially the peanut butter cups. <gasps> you sneaky mom! <laughs> Thanks to all the sneaky moms and sneaky dads. <laughs> Kids are very unstable. How's that for lightening the mood? When Jesus, two Jimmies, and the Reese's peanut butter cups made it back, right? The nutshell version of this moment with Jesus for me in the synagogue that day is that Jesus knows his hometown crowd is going to want more than just to hear about all of his good news and all of his miracles. They'd like to see it. They'd like to experience some of his best work, too which is what that proverb he throws out to them is, Doctor, cure yourself. Show us some of that magic. That's why he says what he knows they're all thinking. Jesus, do something for us, your family and friends, like we heard you've been doing out there in the world. Release some captives here. Heal some of us who are sick. Give some of the Lord's favor to those of us who know you best. If you're doing it for them, surely you can do it for us too. So Jesus' hometown people lose their ever-loving minds. Just like a bunch of kids who lost their Reese's peanut butter cups. When they find out the truth about how God's grace really works. You mean this good news, this favor, this recovery, all this release and forgiveness stuff isn't just for us, your chosen ones? You mean others are allowed to have this You mean we don't get first dibs and then leave the leftovers for the less than? You mean this grace is for them as much as it is for me? How can this be? Where's the nearest cliff, Jesus? But if you have five minutes this week, find that video again. It'll be up on our website soon enough. Partly because the two brothers at the end get funnier and funnier the more you watch them. But also because, as cruel as that prank is, there are a couple of moments of gospel grace hidden there, in case you missed it. One is the look of sweet relief on the face of that little girl with the purple pumpkin when her mom tells her that it was all just a joke. No one actually ate all Of the candy. The other moment of grace and gospel good news is that little boy who runs off to prove his mother wrong, comes back with his own little box of miniature nerds, and lets her know she didn't eat all the candy after all. Because that's what I think about when we let our anger and our rage and our selfishness and our greed over God's grace and our own resources get the best of us. I remember that the grace of God can be a lot like Halloween candy. Something that was never ours to begin with. Something for which no work was required to receive. 
something given freely and in abundance for nothing we've done to earn it, that there's more than enough of it to go around, God's grace and our resources, if we're honest, that we can have our fill and still have plenty to share and that we don't have to be stingy or selfish or territorial about any of it. And I'm always convicted, and I'm always inspired when I hear about Jesus' near-death experience that day in Nazareth by the cliff. Because they hear in all of that a call to our church. The church and our church. Let's not be left standing on the cliff like the people of Nazareth, only to find that Jesus has passed through our midst untouched. Let us never find that Jesus has continued on his way without us, sharing grace, doing justice, offering God's blessings to a world that's so desperate for it only because we were too busy or too angry, too self-absorbed or too selfish or scared to join him in that holy work. Amen.